Morning. So I need to admit right up front that um, this has been one of my most anxious weeks in recent memory, and not because of the sermon, I, uh, although that certainly contributed to it. <laughs> you know, last weekend was, was Thanksgiving weekend, uh, so, you know, visiting family, uh, always fun, always stressful. Um, and uh, my, my wife Joanna and I, you know, had like a half dozen creative projects that had deadlines, you know, at different points in this week. Uh, but it, it, all that was nothing compared to, um, you know, uh, through this week, I mean, really since, since the end of last week in the midst of that, a very close friend of ours has been, um, uh, has been suicidal and, and in and out of the um, psychiatric hospital all week. And so we've been just back and forth uh, visiting him, you know, being with him, not knowing what's going to happen. Uh, if you've if you've been there with someone, you, you know what kind of a time that is. Uh, and here I am preaching a sermon on anxiety. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, preachers usually pray at the beginning of a sermon, but this morning I'm especially aware of my need for, for grace. So will you pray with me, please? Father God, um, calm my heart, calm our hearts, uh, our anxious hearts, still our restless minds, so, uh, so we can hear you. May my words and our, our, our thoughts be, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, um, I know we're supposed to sort of be bridging from, you know, hard, the hard teachings of Jesus to the hard teachings of Advent. This is definitely sort of the tail end of, of the uh, plain old hard teachings of Jesus series. Uh, although it's a little different kind of hard saying than, than, than a lot of the others. I mean, similar but different. So, so like the, the, the conversation about the two swords, you know, that, that Sam preached on two weeks ago, that kind of hard saying is just hard to understand. Like, you know, what exactly is Jesus talking about? <laughs> um, and then there, are, then, there are, then there are hard sayings that, um, like the one from last week that, that, that Blake preached on, you know, don't, don't lust, you know, or, or don't get raging angry at your brother, that are relatively easy to understand, but hard to, hard to accept, you know, hard to take. Um, and, and, then there's, and then there's this one, you know, do not worry, do not be anxious. Pretty, pretty easy to understand, and we maybe even, we want to, we want to accept this, we want to believe it, but it's almost like it's, it feels too good to be true, like, don't be anxious. Like, who doesn't want that? I, I would love to be free from anxiety. But how? And, um, you know, we're looking, at, we're looking at the hard sayings of Jesus, you know, not, not because, you know, we want to, you know, stir up controversy and make everybody mad, uh, but because we want to get to know the real Jesus, the raw Jesus, not, not you know, not some, you know, pasteurized, homogenized, reduced fat, version of Jesus, you know, that, that we create out of our own, own imagination. Because I, I think each of us, you know, is, is tempted to do that, to, to um, domesticate Jesus in our own way. Uh, and, and, uh, and he won't have it. Right? He's a real person. And, and if we want a real relationship with him, we need to, to get to know him as he is. And, and you know, at, at FCF, we, I mean, we believe the best way to do that is, is through the Bible. That's a, 
I realize that's a big presupposition, and it's you know one I don't exactly have time to go into now. But but if if you want to talk about that, you know about the the if you have questions or, or doubts about the reliability of the Bible, the sufficiency, that kind of thing, let's talk. Uh, I'll be hanging around afterwards. But um. But here, you know, in this teaching, you know, where we want to get to know the real Jesus, he's talking about worry. He's talking about anxiety. And anxiety is a beast, is it not? Like, if you're, there's no shortage of things to worry about. You know, if you're, if you're a student, you know, you're worrying about your grades. If you're a parent, you're worrying about your kids. If, if, you're, if you're a worker, an employee, or, or even an employer, you're worrying about your job. Um, and, and, and those are just some of the basics, you know, some of the, some of the prerequisites, right? Incidents of police brutality uh, leave some people anxious about the very officers who are supposed to be keeping them safe. Uh, acts of terrorism, like, you know, like what happened in Paris a few weeks ago, are designed to provoke anxiety. That's, that's the point. And you know, maybe your blood pressure is rising already, just, you know, just thinking about these things. Anxiety is huge. And... and just to put it in context, okay, in what you're about to hear, Jesus has just come off of teaching about money, about money and possessions, about, um, uh, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Or in the Greek it says mammon, which basically means, you know, stuff, possessions. Um, and, and, what he, and our text for today is what he says next. So this is um, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What's Jesus doing here? He's, um, he's approaching anxiety head on. <clears throat> And this, I mean, this passage is pretty famous, but, but there's actually another Bible passage about anxiety that's, that's even more famous. Like, if you look at sort of, like, most, com- if you look up, like, the rankings of most commonly read and searched for, you know, Bible verses online, Bible Gateway has a pretty cool infographic about it. Way higher than this, like, up in the top 25, uh, is the passage from Philippians 4, chapter, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, uh, which goes like this. Do not be anxious about anything. But in, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that's a beautiful passage, right? Uh, but there's a problem with how it's commonly used. 
How many times have, have you heard someone right, quote that phrase, you know, peace that passes all understanding, or something like it? Like, what do people usually mean by that? They, they often mean, you know, a peace, a calm that just settles down onto you like a steam bath, right? Like, you don't, you don't know where it comes from or how or why, uh, but you just feel better. You know, it doesn't make sense, but you'll take it, all right? And that, that happens to some people sometimes. Like, I, I do believe that God sometimes gives that, but not always, right? And it's not always helpful to hear that. Like, have you ever shared your worries with someone, and, uh, and then they, you know, they said to you, you know, just, just pray about it. You know, God will give you peace. There's nothing wrong with prayer. In fact, we'll talk about that later, uh, later about how it can help. But just pray about it is, is dismissive. Like, it's, it's not even take two verses and call me in the morning. It's take one verse and don't call me. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's not helpful. And, and, and we need something more than that. And here in Jesus' teaching, we get, we get it. Um, you know, Jesus gives us something more to do than, you know, just sit around and wait uh, for, for a warm, warm, fuzzy cloud to envelop us. He gives us arguments. He gives us a whole batch of them that we can use on ourselves. Like he, he's, he's assuming that we can examine our own thoughts and feelings and, and sift them and weigh them and, and, and challenge the lies of the truth. And Jesus doesn't say, you know, just squeeze your eyes shut and pray about it. No, he, he, he wants us to have peace with our eyes wide open. So we're going to walk or maybe jog through the arguments, right? I, I counted eight of them. So this is an eight-point sermon. Uh, but don't worry, the points will be short. The first one, the first one is, a, is a little longer, but they, they get shorter. Um, and I'll, I'll try to draw, you know, some applications with each one for, for how, we can, how we can fight worry and anxiety today. All right, so eight arguments against anxiety. Jesus says that we don't need to be anxious. Why not? Reason one, because life is about more than mere survival. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus is reminding you that there's, there's more to life than stuff, right? This, and this has achieved the level of cliche. It really has. Like, you've seen that, you know, that quote, the best things in life aren't things. The, the ironic thing about that, right, is you can now buy things with that slogan emblazoned all over it. Like vinyl wall decals and art prints and mugs. Like, like we say that, but do we really believe it? Like, what does our behavior on Black Friday show about what we really believe? Uh, you know, and st- st- let's step back for a minute and think about, think about, like, your anxieties. Like, what are you anxious about, specifically? Because, you know, what, our, our emotions are, are kind of, are like a kind of language. You know, they're, they're saying something. Like, anger. Okay, anger, anger is a, is a pretty straightforward one. Anger speaks moral judgment. Like, uh, it's saying that I think something is wrong and I hate it. Right? What are your anxieties saying? It's saying, you know, anxieties are, are predictions. They're, they're kind of a prophecy. Um, they're invariably, a, you know, a, a doomsday prophecy, right? <laughs> you know, they're saying there's a future threat to something I love. What is, what is that for you? What's that something for you? With anxiety, like, we're predicting the worst about something, and it's, it's usually connected with someone or something we love, but it's also connected to God. Because, well, because everything is connected to God. You know, 
what's your anxiety saying about him? You know, greed, greed, for example, all right, says uh, that God is stingy, that God's not generous, that, that uh, you know, that he doesn't want to give us what we need. Um, and so we need to grasp, we need to grab, and we need to gather. And, and if, if you see that in yourself, take heart, right? Because, because it means the Spirit is at work to loosen the hold of greed on your heart, if you even, if you even recognize that. Anxiety is also saying that uh, the worst thing, here's another way to look at what anxiety speaks, the worst thing that could possibly happen is something, blank. How, how, how does your, what's the first thing that comes to mind there for you, right? The worst thing that could possibly happen. For some people, you know, it's, for some people it's poverty. You know, it's not having, not having enough. For others, it's, it's death. Um, and Jesus, in this passage, wants to recalibrate your compass. Like, true north here, in, in this question, like, the worst thing that can happen is blank. True north is, is, your, is your relationship to God. Like, it, the, worst thing, the worst thing that could happen would be for you to be separated from God. And the best thing that could happen would be for you to be, you know, inseparably, you know, united to him. So if you do belong to, to God through Christ, it relativizes the other stuff. It doesn't, not that it doesn't matter, right? It does, but, but, but it matters less. There's more going on with anxiety, though, than, than, sort of, than spiritual dynamics. I mean, as important as that is, you know, life is more than food. Jesus says. But it's also, it's not less. Uh, so it's worthwhile to consider, like, what role your, your, your body and your habits, um, you know, might be playing in your worry. Like, how are your sleep patterns? I mean, mine are pretty terrible right now. <laughs> and it doesn't help me be, like, a less anxious person. Um, or, or, you know, how about your eating or, or exercise habits? Uh, I, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not going to get all Oprah on you, but there's another layer. There's another layer to this that, that Christians don't often talk about. Can we, can we talk about like um, anxiety disorders and anti-anxiety medications for a minute? I, like what? What about them? Like what is? How does that relate to what Jesus is saying here? Like is that is that kind of in a different realm entirely? Is it sort of outside of the reach of His grace? I I heard a Christian doctor um, say one time that when it comes to psychiatric medications, Christians are kind of like um, the porridge in the Goldilocks story. Like either too hot or too cold. You know, some of us are too hot towards meds. You know, it's the first place we run. It's the best thing we know uh, to help with emotional struggles. You know, others of us are, are too cold towards meds. We think that if we're really living by faith, we won't need any of that stuff. You know, and, and if we do take meds, we somehow fail. What's the just right temperature? I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's, a, it's a wisdom issue. Uh, you know, um, a few basic principles, you know, that, that have helped me, you know, as, I'm th- as I think about this, you know, human beings, we're embodied souls. You know, our, our bodies matter. Our, our physical state can, can influence our spiritual state and vice versa. You know, and, and we live in a fallen world. Like, not only do we sin, but others sin against us. And then there's, and then, you know, and sometimes things just go wrong and fall apart. Our bodies break down and, and it's not even anyone's fault in particular. Um, and our, our bodies, and the important thing to remember, I think, is our bodies can make life harder, much harder. <laughs> but, they, but they can't make us sin. I mean, they, they can't make us do things. They can't make us choose things, right, that, 
that the Bible prohibits, like adultery, and they can't keep us from things that the Bible prescribes, like love. And this is actually good news. Like, it's fundamentally hopeful because it means we're not, none of us are sort of beyond the reach of God's, God's grace. Um, the popular notion of anxiety is that, it's a, is that it's merely a medical issue, right? Unbalanced brain chemistry uh, that just needs the right medication, you know, to, to, to um, restore balance. And the Bible doesn't deny that possibility. Like, that, that really could be going on. Your body and brain could be contributing to this. Uh, but the Bible also goes deeper because we're, we're not just bodies and brains. Right? We're embodied souls made in God's image to know him, to love him, to imitate him. And if God's grace was irrelevant to those of us uh, you know, with chemical imbalances, we'd all be exempt because none of us has a perfectly functioning brain. You see, you see how medication is a wisdom issue? Like it's, it can help alleviate symptoms for some people, and that is a good thing, right? As long as it's part of a bigger strategy, right? One, one with Jesus at the center. So if you're exploring you know, medical helps, um, or if you're already you know, benefiting from them, um, that's, that's awesome. And, and just don't, don't, don't neglect, don't forget spiritual helps, too. You know, all of us, diagnosis or not, meds or not, right, uh, need to reckon with the spiritual dimension of our anxieties. Um, no, matter, you know, no matter how profound our physical weaknesses may be, they can't, they can't keep us from, from growing in, in love with, uh, with, with Christ and our neighbor. And I hope you feel both the, both the challenge and the comfort of that. So that's the first point. That's the longest because, you know, we took that little, that little detour. Reason two, why not be anxious? Because God feeds the birds and he loves and values you way more than them. All right, verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? In the parallel passage to this, Luke 12, Jesus gets uh, species-specific. He says, consider the ravens. Some of you are reconsidering the ravens. <laughs> Here's what he's saying, though. Like, ravens, ravens, are, uh, ravens are well cared for. They're the ultimate survivors. Right? And, and, and if God cares for an ordinary, kind of dull-looking bird, how much more will he care for you? Right? You who are made in his image. I mean, that, that's, that's what the more is. It's not that God hates, you know, the birds. He loves the birds. He loves his whole creation. But, but you know, he cares specially for humans who he made in his image. And, and he cares for his adopted children so deeply that, you know, he would move heaven and earth to bring us back to himself. That's the logic behind the beautiful passage in Romans 8 that we heard earlier. You know, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Reason three, right? Why, why not worry? Because you can't prolong your life by worrying. Verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Now, some of you know, I know your minds are already racing about this. You go, well, actually, you know, I think I can. <laughs> You know, I can eat well, right? I can, uh, I can exercise, I can quit smoking, I can wear sunblock. Okay, sure, right? Like, those are good things. Um, but do they guarantee you any more time? Really? All the healthy eating in the world can't ensure you won't get in a car accident, right? All of the locks you could put on your door could not prevent a heart attack. 
I'm not trying to make you anxious, right, or freak you out or anything. I'm just pointing out the obvious. Like, we are vulnerable creatures. <laughs> and our times, our times are ultimately in His hands. Uh, you know, and only God can give, can give life and take it. And that, that doesn't mean we need to go kamikaze, right? Jesus is not saying health doesn't help. He's saying anxiety doesn't help. Isn't it true that two people, two people could do the exact same diet or, or exercise routine or health or other health or safety thing um, in, in two entirely different ways. Like one, okay, so one is on a particular diet, you know, to, in order to have uh, more energy, right, to better love others, to, to, to enjoy the life she's been given, and the other is on the same diet, but, you know, in order to, to you know, get that ideal body or, or fight that negative body image or scrupulously avoid, you know, all those additives and ingredients or foods that are reportedly bad for you. Bad for you is such an ambiguous phrase, by the way. I, I can never tell if it's, they never tell you if it's like bad for you like poison ivy or bad for you like rat poison. And my, like, my imagination defaults to rat poison, but like I like the food, so I eat it anyway. The, these, are, these, are the what, these are the what shall we eat questions of our day and time. Like these are like anxiety inducing, are they not? And I, where's your heart when it comes to that stuff? Like what, if you're anything like me, like you've got mixed motives. And, and let's ask God to help us sort them out. And we can, we can hold on to, to God's promises too, to, to God's word, to the things, that are, the things that are true no matter what happens. Uh, that's, man, that's why I love Romans 8. It's so relevant here. Because, I mean, Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And, and, and then he asks a bunch of rhetorical questions, like shall this, shall that? And when we're in the thick of anxiety, we want to answer those those, those rhetorical questions, like he says, shall trouble? Well, maybe, our anxiety says, you know. Shall hardship? Possibly. Or persecution? Uh, uh-oh, probably. Or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It's like, yeah, we're doomed. <laughs> so says our anxiety, you know. But the Holy Spirit, speaking through Paul, um, has, has a better story. Listen, listen to what he says next. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons. Neither the present, nor the future. Anxiety is all about living in the future, isn't it? Nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Does that speak to anxiety or what? Hold on to that. You know, write it down. I was talking to somebody after the first sermon, and they were like, you know, I, like, I can't even... Like when I'm anxious, like I can't, I can't remember stuff. I can't remember those things, you know. And so, and so, I sometimes I'll write something like, write a verse like that down and just keep it in my pocket, you know, so I can pull it out and say, like, remind myself, like this is this is true. Like this is true no matter what. Hang on to that stuff. Um, reason four. Why not worry? Because God clothes the grass, and you're much longer lasting than that. That's, that's uh, verses 28 through 30. Check it out. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? This is similar, uh, similar to Jesus' argument about the ravens, but not identical. I just said ravens. Some of you came back after, you know, five minutes of wandering. Welcome back. 
Uh, here's, so here's the grass. Here's the flowers, right? And they're so fleeting. They're so temporary. And yet, God has made them beautiful. Like, have you ever thought about just the, just the riotous excess that is the natural world? Like just the overflow of beauty. Fields of wildflowers and grasses like sprout up out of the ground. You know, they, 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 they grow and they strain and they stretch toward the sun and they burst open in awesome colors. And then they wilt and drop and rot, right? And a whole other whole crop, you know, takes their place. Like, what's with that? You know, God is clearly not after efficiency. <laughs> He's after beauty, right? He loves that. And, and what's the application here? Okay, you could try. You could actually try what Jesus says here. Consider the lilies. Like, get outside and clear your head. I, I, uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I, you know, a friend and I took the morning off. We went up to Cromwell Valley Park. Up, uh, it's kind of nestled in like a valley just outside the Beltway. And so all you can really see when you're there are just forests and fields. And, man, I mean, just enjoying and considering, like, God's world and, and, his, and his care for it. You know, I was sitting out there just on a crisp autumn morning, and my anxieties evaporated like the morning mist. It was, it was really, it was really helpful. Um, consider the lilies. Reason five. Why not worry? Why not be anxious? Because everyone's chasing these things. In other words, be different. Verse thirty-one and thirty-two. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, "What shall we eat?" Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And pause right there. We'll deal with the second clause uh, in the next reason. Jesus is shifting gears a little bit here. He says, he says don't be anxious, but why? Because the, you know, the Gentiles, the pagans, whatever, whatever your translation says, are chasing these things. In other words, because everyone's doing it. Like, don't get caught up in that pursuit. He says, be different. All right, but... What does different look like here? And I think the key, the contrast, what he's, you know, contrasting what, what the Gentiles do with what he wants his people to do is in verse 33, where he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And here in verse 31, the Gentiles seek after what? Food and clothing, right? So what does Jesus want us to seek first? He wants to seek God's kingdom. But what does that even mean? I, I, honestly, you know, seek first his kingdom so... What? So don't even work? Right? Or just, uh, you know, don't, don't think about this stuff and God will just kind of take care of it. You know, let go and let God. I mean, that's, that's one way that, that, that people take this passage. Or does it mean that, you know, if you're, just, uh, if you're just actively pursuing God, you know, and seeking to live according to God's will, then he will roll out the red carpet for you. You know, that, that he will shower you with favor, you know, opening doors. Uh, left and right. That sounds very biblical, right? And it, it can be if by red carpet you mean the way of Jesus, the way of the cross. You know, it, it can be biblical if by opening doors you mean doors to proclaim the gospel, like, like Paul prayed for, uh, and not, you know, doors to promotions and vacations and healthy, wealthy paganism. I, I've, seen, I've seen so many Christians paralyzed or, or, or worse, anesthetized. By, by misunderstandings of this verse. So if it's not that, like, what does different look like? Let's look back at the example that Jesus gives, like the birds. Okay, so God feeds the ravens. Like, how does God, how does God feed the birds? 
through, through their work, right? I mean, he's not dropping grubs onto their head. Right? They have to go dig them up. And, 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 but we work for our food too, so like, what's the difference? Like, wh- like, why does Jesus kind of commend them for our consideration? I think it's that the birds don't fret. Right? They, aren't, they aren't stressing, they aren't obsessing about the mystery that is the future. They are content and confident in God's care. How can, how can we get some of that? And, and here's another angle on it that I, that I heard once. It's, it's, like the difference, it's like the difference between being like a, an orphan um, street kid and a kid in a stable family. Because, you know, it's one thing to be a street kid who lives by his wits, right? Because there's no one looking out for him. So, you know, if that kid hoards, you know, or steals when he can or, or um, you know, obsesses about where his next meal will come from, you know, you can understand that, right? But <clears throat> when your father is the king, and has all the wealth in the land, and loves you like crazy. Like that, that kind of behavior, that same kind of behavior, w- would be crazy. And, and some of us here, you know, some of us here grew up poor, right? Or, and a few of us even on and off the street, right? And that makes it harder, doesn't it? Like, like that, that, stuff, that stuff, you know, can, can shape you, can make, can kind of give you a different starting point and, and make, make all this kind of stuff harder. You're more likely to be anxious about stuff. Or others of us, you know, have, have been in, have been in combat or grew up in neighborhoods that were basically war zones, right? That doesn't make it easier either, does it? But um, the truth is, I mean, I, I think, I think on, a, on a ground level, we're more alike than different in this. Like all of us, spiritually speaking, are, are orphans. And, and when, when we get adopted by the king, it takes a while to get used to that new status. Like it's probably going to take our whole lives. Reason six. Because God's your perfect heavenly Father, and He knows what you need. So this is kind of the, the tag of verse thirty-two. You know, Jesus says, "For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all." Here's how Jesus says you can learn to trust Him if you get to know Him as your heavenly Father. And Jesus, if you if you read the Gospels at all, you'll notice Jesus is always beating this drum, right? It's how he taught us to pray. Just, just a few verses before this in the Lord's Prayer, you know, it starts with what? Our Father in heaven. And, and uh, remember that famous line, give us this day our daily bread. This is, you could look at this anxiety stuff as almost like an, an expansion of that, of what that, what that looks like. Give us the bread we need for today. Can we be content with that? Like, can we trust God for, for, for the bread we need? God's a, God's a good Father. I mean, he, he doesn't, he doesn't provide this way you know, on a, like a day-by-day basis because he's, he's stingy or he's poor, like he's waiting for the check to come in. You know? No, like he, it's because he wants to stay connected, right? because he, he delights to feed us daily, to stay close to us. And so prayer, I mean prayer, plain and simple, is, is another way uh, that we can fight our anxieties. Because you, you can process your worries in prayer towards, towards God and with others. Um, the Psalms can be so helpful in this. Uh, the Psalms are basically the prayer book of the Bible, and, and you can find one for pretty much any and every emotional state, like dark, unrelenting depression, murderous rage, and of course, you know, uh, worry, fear, anxiety, total terror. Uh, but the Psalms don't leave you by alone in that. They, they teach you how to process your thoughts and feelings in a, in a Godward direction. It's so helpful. And um, if you search online for um, Psalms for the Anxious, 
there's this one ministry website that should be the top result. They've gathered together most or all of the bits of the Psalms that speak most directly to our anxious hearts. It's really cool. Psalms for the anxious. I, I, put, I, um, I posted a link to it on our church's blog and Facebook page and stuff if you want to check that out. And another helpful way to, to pray your anxieties is to pray with others. Like I, I can't tell you how many times I've been deeply encouraged by, you know, by a friend, by how a friend has prayed with me about something that I'm stressing about. Have you ever experienced that? It's like, it's like sometimes I'm so thick into the brambles that I, I can't see a way out. And then a friend comes and just like hacks away out with his prayer. And, and it, um, I, I don't know how else to explain it. Like, if you're, I mean, if you're anxious, right, which is most of us, and if you have friends who pray, which, you know, is, is most of us, take advantage of that. Make use of that help. And if, and if, and, you know, if, if someone you know is kind of talking to you about their worries or anxieties, like, it's not cheesy, uh, it's not useless to stop and ask right there, like, hey, would you mind if we, if we prayed about this right now? Like, you know, I'd love to pray about this with you. Could we? Give that a try. Reason seven. Because tomorrow has its own troubles. Verse 34. So we're jumping down to verse 34, and then we'll come back to 33. Verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Uh, the little mini bio thing they in the bulletin for me um, mentions that I've been working at, at Helping Out Mission downtown. It's a residential uh, Christian addiction recovery program for men. Um, and one of the sayings that I hear from a lot of guys you know, down there, a lot of guys who are in recovery, who are in this fight to stay clean or sober, is one day at a time, right? One day at a time. It's, it's actually a line in the full version of the serenity prayer, you know, that, that famous old Reinhold Niebuhr, you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. There's actually like a couple more stanzas. It's really beautiful. And, and the very next line is living one day at a time. And so, man, so many of the guys that I work with, they, they, they get this verse. They love this verse because... A lot of them, you know, are coming off the street, and, and for the first time in a long time, they, they don't have to worry about where their next meal is going to come from, you know, where they're going to sleep that night, and, uh, and the pressure's off, in a sense, so they're, you know, so they're, they have more, they have more, you know, headspace to focus on, on getting sober and on, on even, you know, facing, you know, some of the, some of the issues, you know, underlying their addictions, um, and there's a realism. There's a beautiful realism to this verse, too. Like, that tomorrow we'll have troubles, too. There's no illusion that, like, if I could just get, you know, this one thing you know, together in place, you know, then it'd be smooth sailing. No. Like, you know, we live in a fallen world, and we live, you know, in between, uh, you know, D-Day and V-Day, right? Like, at Christmas time in Advent, we celebrate the great invasion, uh, but, but we're still looking forward you know, to, to the great victory celebration. And it, so in the meantime, each, each day has its own trouble and more than enough trouble to, to keep us occupied. You know, we don't need to go and keep tomorrow's trouble onto today. Uh, and when we're anxious, when we're anxious, the future is a graceless place, isn't it? Like we, we can only imagine the worst. 
You know, we can't imagine, you know, God's grace, you know, meeting us there in that moment. But, but there's always grace for the moment, right? for us to face our present trouble, the one that's the one that's right here, whatever that is. So here's what we can do with this. Like, here's how we can use this truth that Jesus is is giving us. When you're thinking about the future, and you're paralyzed by anxiety or fear, do the next thing. Like the next, like what can you do today? as you trust God for tomorrow. Like, do that. Do that next small thing, you know, that small act of, of love or obedience or, or whatever, you know, is right in front of you. Trusting God for the big picture. Reason eight. Why not worry? Because you've got something better to seek. That is his kingdom and his righteousness. Uh, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We've already looked at this verse a little bit, like mainly from the angle of, of what seeking kingdom is not. You know, it's not an excuse for passivity, right? And it's not, it's not necessarily a promise of prosperity either. But all, all these things will be added to you. You know, I, you know, I struggle with that. Like, what does that mean? To, I mean, to, to put it bluntly, like, what does it mean for all the Christians, you know, through the centuries who suffered deprivation, right, and even starvation, one way to resolve that tension is, you know, is to, is to say, you know, oh, it's about, it's about the age to come. You know, it's when the fullness of the kingdom will eradicate all suffering. I mean, that, that will be a beautiful thing. But maybe, but come on. I mean, why would Jesus rule out worry now if his promise only applies to, like, this distant future? I think a better way... Uh, forward is to interpret this teaching in light of, in connection with, its neighboring teaching on money. And this is actually a little clearer, uh, I think the connection is clear in, in Luke 12, in the, in the sort of parallel passage. Here's how Jesus ends his teaching on worry there. Check this out, Luke 12, 31. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. All right, so sound familiar? And then Jesus says, fear not, little flock. Fear not, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I, th- I think part of what he's saying here is, to the degree that you're free from anxiety, you'll be freed up to be generous with your resources. Isn't that true? Because when, you know, when, you're, when you're anxious, I mean, there's, you're not letting anything... <laughs> out of your clutches. Um, but but when, when we, when, when God's people seek first his kingdom, his priorities, we'll begin to take care uh, of the ones who are needier among us, you know, locally and, and, and globally. And we'll bear, start bearing one another's burdens. I think part of, what, part of what Jesus is doing, Jesus uses us, at, you know, his people, as one of the primary means of making good on this promise. Have you experienced this? I mean, one of the ways this happens here at, at this church, you know, not the only way, not even the main way, but one of the ways it happens is by the, um, our deacon, deacons fund. All right, so, so uh, the deacons and the women's diaconal team, they're leaders in this area, right, of, of, of um, bearing one another's burdens. And they, they have a fund for helping people in our congregation, in our, in our neighborhood, uh, who are in, in, a, in a tough spot financially. Um, and, 
last night at the Advent concert, like, like every year, uh, all of the proceeds from the bazaar, from the, all the selling all the cool stuff that, that people made, um, all the proceeds go to this deacon's fund. Uh, and, and this year, actually, uh, I, was, I checked in with the, um, with the women you know, who tallied everything at the end, who made uh, like 50% more, I think, than we, than we ever have, $3,100 going into that deacon's fund. Yeah, you can clap. That's awesome. Uh, anyway, the, the kingdom, the kingdom where, is where Jesus reigns, right? It's, it's where he reigns w- with justice and with mercy, with impartiality and with generosity. Seek that kingdom, he's saying. Seek it. But then he tags something else on. He says, seek his kingdom and his righteousness. What's that about? You know, he doesn't say your own righteousness, right? Seek to put together a good record, and then I'll consider your application for the kingdom. He says, seek his righteousness. Seek the gift. You know, that's, it's, a, it's a gospel hint. It's a gospel breadcrumb. Because Jesus isn't just the ruler of the kingdom, right? He's the, he's the way. You know, he, he's the door. He's the way. And, and ultimately, ultimately, it's only through what he accomplished in his death and resurrection that, that can take the claws out of our anxieties. That can declaw them, defang them. Here's, here's how the cross deals with our anxiety. This kind of came together for me in a, in a big way. Uh, this fall, I went to a, a conference, and I heard a, a Christian counselor named David Pallison giving a talk on anxiety. And he said something that really struck me. He said that often, underneath anxiety, like anxiety is made up of a pair of experiences or feelings, all right? and, and, and those are um, vulnerability and loneliness. And, and it's a... It's a half-truth, he said. It's a half-truth because, you know, we are vulnerable. <laughs> like, this world is not a safe place. Like, you really are vulnerable, but you're never totally alone. And, and he was talking about God, of course. You know, even if everyone else, even if everyone else has abandoned you, God is still with you. Does that feel like a lame consolation prize right now? It might. You know, if you're in the midst of anxiety, like a, like a weak comfort, like, oh, yeah, I know, sure, whatever. Maybe that will change. Maybe it'll get just a little bit more comforting, a little bit stronger if you consider, if you think about what it costs God to stick with us, to stick with you, about how committed he is to you. Our sin, our sin and our junk means God has every right, every right to say, you know, get away, you know, shoo, you know, I, be gone, I'm, I'm out of here. I don't want to have anything to do with you. But that's not what we're getting. Why? Because Jesus took our loneliness. He carried our anxieties. Like, think about, think about what, what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, the night before Jesus was crucified. He was in agony. He was, he was praying. He was in agony. He was praying alone. He, he begged his friends, his disciples, to stay with him, and they all fell asleep. And, and then he was, he was so anxious that it showed with physical symptoms, right? Like sweat and tears and even blood. Like it sounds, it almost sounds like a panic attack. Like have you ever, have you ever thought about that? Like what was going on in Gethsemane? Why was Jesus freaking out? Because he saw what was coming in his tomorrow. Like Jesus knew, Jesus knew that on that tomorrow, that Good Friday, he would be completely vulnerable. He would be completely, utterly 
alone. The Son of God, who, you know, who'd always had the security and intimacy with, with his Heavenly Father, unlike anything we can imagine. I mean, you see him living out of that security you know, th- through most of his life and ministry. He knew he would be utterly vulnerable and alone. Jesus knew that in that moment, he would experience the cosmic isolation, the cosmic loneliness that is separation from God, so that we, who deserve that loneliness, would never have to experience it. That we, frail, nervous, anxious humans, could could have the assurance right, of the faithful presence of God with us. And, and, and that's how Paul can make those crazy promises in Romans 8. Not those crazy claims that he does, like, because God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Because Jesus not only knows what it's like to be anxious, and he doesn't just sympathize, he actually shouldered the cosmic burden of anxiety, you know, of, our, of our loneliness that you and I deserve. Because, and because it, if, if you trust Jesus, if you belong to him, the Spirit, the Spirit of God is in you and at work in you and will never leave you. Because of all these things, the, the chokehold, the chokehold that anxiety has on us can be loosened bit by bit. Right? And we can, we can begin to breathe one breath at a time, one moment at a time, one day at a time. He's walking with us every step of the way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these reminders of your heart uh, towards us and help us to trust you. Jesus, um, we praise you for how you took on the anxiety, the vulnerability, the loneliness that, that, that we deserve so that we could have peace. And the Holy Spirit, work our, into our thoughts, into our relationships, draw us deeper into your kingdom. Make us into people who are generous because we're confident in your care. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, after the service and all that, I'll, I'll hang up here if, if you want to talk, pray, whatever. Uh, and Kim Suter, our, I'll just mention this, she's not here, but Kim Suter, we have a counselor uh, on part-time staff here uh, who's really wonderful and wise. Licensed counselor, does crisis counseling, also trained biblical counselor. Again, her name is Kim. Um, yeah, if you, if you want to meet with her, I think, I think like, I don't, I don't, yeah, call the church office. Yeah, and she was here after the first service talking with a few people. Um, but I'll be here, be string, but be happy to talk, pray.